Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being here for our Big Time Talker podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network, iHeartMedia, Apple iTunes. And we're simulcasting today with our friends at Headline Books in their Zoom Into Books program. Today, we're talking about the environment and environmental author and big kahuna in that world. Stephanie J. Miller joins us. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Burke. It's great to be here. When did this first become important to you? When did environment become important to me or zero waste living? Those are two very different answers. But basically, I'd like to think I was a conservationist from a young age, uh, but I'm not sure I always uh, walked the talk. And um, and and then when I was in my career on, on climate, you know, the thing is, I was it was my job to help governments and private sector get on a more sustainable path when I was leading climate change in the private sector part of the world. Mike, and I wasn't doing much of anything in my own life. So when I finally left the organization after 25 years, decided I'd take a gap year, spend a bit more time with my son before he headed off to college, I thought, well, this is the perfect time for me to figure out what could I actually do? And that, so the answer to your question is a couple years, about two and a half years ago is when I got the bug. So that's interesting. In your corporate life, you're helping these big governments all over Western Europe do it, but at home, not so much. So there was a disconnect for you. Yeah, there was, I I would come home, I would be giving a talk at a conference in Geneva or in uh, Eastern Europe or in Asia, and I would get back from my trip exhausted. And every day when I was in DC working, exhausted and knew, you know, it was always at the back of my mind, I should be doing more, I should be recycling better, I should be buying products that are better for the environment, but I just didn't have time. And I also really honestly didn't know you know, I, I know flying has a huge footprint. I wasn't about to start fl- stop flying. That was part of my job. So I also was a bit confused about what it is that I could actually do. It's just little old me. What could I, what impact could I really have? So that confusion, and I think it's true for a lot of people, not just people leading climate change for organizations, it's paralyzing. It is really paralyzing. You've written this book, Zero Waste Living, the 80-20 way. Um, and it really is about what each of us individually can do. But, but you touched on something I want to ask about. When you talk about it being paralyzing, I think it's that way for most people. We go, you know, what difference does it make, really, if I, Burke Allen, use reusable bags at the grocery store when all of this craziness is happening and there's this massive pollution problem from China and on and on and on and on. So, you know, let's call it out. Does it really matter? It does. Uh, I like to think there's sort of three, a three-legged stool, government, private sector, and consumers. We all have a role to play. I'm not giving a pass at all to government and private sector. There's a lot they have to do, and there's a lot they have to do urgently. This is where we are today is not the fault of the consumer, but that doesn't mean the consumer can't do anything about it. And what I wanted to try to set out to figure out is if you're busy, if you don't quit your job like I did for a year, if you're busy, how do you fit the really impactful but easy things into your life? Because there's really no excuse for us not to do those really easy and impactful things. So that that to me was important. And yes, I can give you some examples, but it makes a huge difference. 
Stephanie J. Miller is our guest today. If you happen to be scrolling through your Facebook live feed right now and, and you see us talking about the environment, you want to pop a question in about how you can do better at home, then send us a, a message in the chat room. We'll be happy to answer it. If you're listening to us on the podcast, the Big Time Talker podcast brought to you by Speaker Match, uh, send me a note and we'll get it right over to Stephanie or visit her online at zerowasteindc.com. You're based in D.C., thus the NDC on the website, but this stuff works everywhere, right? Yes. When I started, I was really focused on local. And then shortly after the pandemic hit and I find, you know, I'm talking to people across the country, across the world. So a lot of the stuff is, you know, very translatable in other places as well. But yes, I'm based in D.C., not too far from you in Reston. That's right. Right down the road. But does that mean that I'm going to have to bicycle down to see you? I can't drive my car anymore? <laughs> no, I, I I love bicycling, but I don't bicycle for my errands. I wish I did. And maybe that will be something I do when I retire. But no, I you don't have to bicycle. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. So before we talk about what we can do individually, since you have this background in a, a policy sense, I do want to ask you, you know, one more sort of additional question there. And, and that is, especially living in DC, Stephanie, how in the world did the environment and taking care of our planet become so politicized? I mean, it's such a hot potato and, and people are at each other's throats. You know, 50 years ago, People who took care of the planet and the environment and all, you know, they, they sort of got the side eyes as the hippies and the tree huggers. But in today's world, we're, we're kind of still that way, still arguing, maybe using different words. How did it become so politicized? I mean, how did mask wearing become politicized? You know, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It's we wear masks because we want to protect our fellow citizens and ourselves from the pandemic. We should care about climate change. Um, I, you know, it, I, I think there are reasons why big business, and I worked with big business for many years, so I, I understand their perspective, but big business wants to make profit. Right. And um, a lot of the things that big business does uh, uses up a lot of energy. So, you know, there were incentives for companies to play down what they were doing. Uh, in the in the name of profit. And I, I don't know exactly at what moment in time this became political when suddenly there were two sides of a story that doesn't have two sides. There isn't climate change and not climate change. There, you know, there, there's scientific fact. And uh, as someone once said, was it Moynihan, um, you're entitled to your opinions, but you're not entitled to your facts. So that's the problem is Everyone thinks they can have an opinion about whether climate change is happening or not. And it is happening. It's There's no real dispute about that. The book is Zero Waste Living. The author is my pal, Stephanie J. Miller. It's all common sense stuff. And, and you talked about examples. I want to start with one and ask you how much of this plays into it. So the bottle of water, the plastic bottle of water. You know, as kids, frankly, we drank out of the garden hose in the backyard and we all managed to live through that. Uh, and then there were pitchers of water. And at some point, the bottle of water became the thing. Now the bottle of water is somewhat uh, villainized, for lack of a better word. So how much of what you teach people to do is really a big, huge inconvenience? How much of it is giving up the water bottle? Yeah, that's a really great question. I, um, if I could count up, and I did, how many water bottles I used to go through a year. I, I have one like this, but it's just a demo because I this has been sitting around for three years now. Now, <laughs> I, now I use the re reusable one. 
Yeah. But I, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is a little bit my uh, starting point. It's my personal starting point. And I think for many people, it would be the starting point. First of all, you have to understand why should we care? Why should we care whether we drink out of this or out of the reusable uh, bottle? And the answer is we will end up with more plastic than fish in the ocean by 2050. That's one problem. The ocean pollution, by the way, today is ocean, World Ocean Day. So happy World Ocean Day. It's a really good day to talk about plastic. Um, there's a lot of other pernicious, there, there's a lot of reasons we should care about whether we're buying something in plastic or not. Plastic is a very polluting industry. It contributes to climate change and it's very toxic for the workers in the, in the work at these plants and the people around there. So, okay, let me put all the reasons aside. Why should you switch? I used to buy, it sounds like, oh, one a day, two a day. On a, on a good day, a bad day, meaning I would buy a couple of these at work every day. Right. And I didn't think about it. I was busy. I didn't have time to go refill my water bottle. I just needed the water bottle that, that was available to me. So that meant I was going through 700 plus of these a year. Multiply that by however many people you know that use water bottles. That's thousands. And then you're talking about millions. And these, unfortunately, 9% of plastic gets recycled. Much of it does not. And that's why you've got this ocean problem that we talked about. This, my theory about the switching over from, say, if you drink your water out of a plastic water bottle, to switching over to one of these, that's the first thing I did, is it raises your awareness. You suddenly, at least this is what happened to me, you 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 have this awareness about all the single-use plastic in your life. You start to see it everywhere. And then you start to wonder what you can do about it. And to me, that's the goal. It's not to never buy one of these again. I'm sure I will buy another one of these again in my life, even though I've made promises not to, because sometimes you don't have a choice. Right. It's not about beating yourself up about not doing it. It's about figuring out what you can do. And when there's an easy alternative like this, you know, that's one we, I think even really busy people could get their heads around. You know, the, it's interesting when you put the math to it and as you just did, and you think about, geez, you do two of those a day at work uh, and that's 700 in a year and maybe a hundred million people around the country do that same thing. And then that's just this country. <laughs> and yeah. You know, play it out over the world. That's a huge number. It's astronomical and it's hard to even get your head around. And which is why I think it's exciting when you realize, well, you can chip away at the problem and actually you can do more than chip away at the problem. You can actually drastically reduce your single use plastic because there's almost always an alternative in more sustainable packaging or no packaging. I can give you some other examples if you want. Oh, and, and you're gonna, because we've got <laughs> questions that are coming in. Stephanie J. Miller, our guest today, if you're watching online, right now it's zoom into books and our simulcast with the big time talker podcast stephanie's cool book which is really short and easy to read is zero waste living the 80 20 way it's not a policy wonk book it's uh, very helpful tips on what you can do on your own to make it better stephanie we have a question that's come in on our facebook live chat uh it says here keep in mind hugh scott the republican leader of the senate appeared at the very first earth day in philadelphia jacob javits uh, Republican Center from New York. If you ever spend time in New York, you may be familiar with the Jacob Javits Center. He was at the, the New York Earth Day. What happened? Uh, well, I think when they showed up, uh, 
this was, as you said, not a political issue. It has become a political issue. Right. And I think, and I, and I, there are many Republicans who support climate change mitigation and adaptation measures. So um, I think we all need to care about this. I think there's a lot, many people can do. Politicians have a huge role to play in influencing uh, what kind of um, uh, regulations businesses um, and, and individuals can, uh, I mean, mostly businesses need to undertake some new ways of doing business. So you talked about examples. The plastic is a huge example. And I think about, you know, the, the typical office workplace and having the water cooler and making, you know, uh, other cups or glasses available, but something that's not plastics related. Well, give me another example of what I could do yep. easily at home to cut my footprint. Yeah. So a, a really big one and an eye-opening one for me. I mean, I've worked in climate change and I didn't realize how big an issue this was food waste. So food waste so if food waste were a country, it would be ranked third behind the U.S. and China in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. It is a huge part of the problem. Why? Because when food ends up in the landfill, there's no opportunity for oxygen to work its way and decompose the food. And so you end up with methane being produced instead of CO2. And methane is a much more powerful greenhouse gas compared to CO2. So there's something we can do about that. Why? Because food waste, and you're not going to believe this, or at least you may, but I didn't when I heard it. It, Yes, it occurs at the farm. Yes, it occurs in restaurants. It occurs in grocery stores. But the single biggest culprit, if you will, the single biggest source of food waste that ends up in landfills is us, the consumer. At the household level, we contribute more than 40% of the food waste to the food waste problem. Wow. That's So what can you do about that? Anyway, you asked me another example, but but that's something that there is no single other group of, um, uh, you know, if you group the problem, no one has more influence on that problem than the household level. So that's something we can do a lot about. That's an amazing figure. And and Stephanie, I, I grew up uh, in the Appalachian coal fields. You know, we, we were just all varying degrees of poor. And so uh, it, it, the three words I heard uh, on a daily basis were clean your plate. And, uh, you know, you, you left nothing on the table and mom and dad didn't over prepare. So what has shifted there? Is it because of the abundance of lifestyle? Why is it different today? Yeah, I think it really is. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying we need to go back to the days of um, our grandparents, but I, there are a lot of things we could borrow from them and bring back that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, clean your plate um, is a big one. What, what changed? Yes, I mean, we have an abundance. There are so many more options in the grocery stores today than when we were growing up, you and I. I think we're about the same age. Um, and um, we, we have a society that is used to buying and not worrying too much about where it ends up after you buy it. You know, if you uh, or your family cook a new recipe, as I used to do, you probably buy all these ingredients you've never bought before, and then you never use them again. I mean, some of them you're just gonna eat that night and some of them are gonna hang around in your pantry. We have a, a, a bad habit of, as a, as a nation, of going to the store without a list more than a third. I can't believe this. This is something I did actually do before, even when I was busy. I had a list. If you don't have a list, you just buy everything that looks good. So we end up with a lot of waste. Um, we don't have a good way 
I have a solution, but we, we often don't have an easy way to understand how to get rid of the food in a timely way, meaning eat it right. before it goes bad. And then one of my favorite subjects is there's a lot of stuff that you can't, you don't end up eating, even if you're really good about controlling your food waste, eating what you bring into the house, there are banana peels, there's chicken bones, there's a lot of stuff you can't do anything about composting. I mean, it's a huge, it's, it's like a magical word for me now. And I, you know, a few years ago, I, I have some friends who are gardeners. That's what I associated composting with. These are the people who need that rich uh, uh, soil that gets, or the, the, the uh, humus that gets produced when you break the food down naturally with oxygen playing a role, you get this great kind of natural fertilizer. So I thought that's for them, not for me. Now I compost because now that's all the food. If we don't eat it, it ends up getting composted, most of it, not 100%. And that's all the stuff that we as a household are now diverting from the landfill. So that feels great and it's easy. And by the way, you live in Reston. Right. And I think in September, uh, Fairfax County, I just read this, is moving to residential compost um, like your garbage pickup, they will pick up your food waste as well, which is huge. I mean, that saves you from setting up a compost bin and figuring out what to do. So that's, that brings me to a great question. Uh, Joel in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania writes in during our Facebook live chat with Stephanie J. Miller about what we can do on our side to help the environment. Her book is Zero Waste Living. And Joel says, I know that people say they want to check the government, but when does convenience overrule protection of the environment? Hmm. Uh, I, I think it's, I, I don't know where the question is coming from, but we are used to our creature comforts. We are used to convenience. We all know what happened during the pandemic, right? We started ordering everything online. Amazon went, you know, crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't want to live a life that is deprived of convenience for sure. I think it's a balancing act though, right? It's so it's, it's again, it's, you know, we didn't talk yet about what I mean by 80, 20, but basically, I mean, don't try to do everything, do the things that are easy for you to do. And uh, for, I'll, I'll give you one example. I have a friend, I did a, 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 an audit of her recycle bin and she had no idea how many plastic yogurt cups her family went through in a week until we did a, a, an audit of her weekly recycling. And she wasn't gonna start making yogurt, but then, then the pandemic happened and she said, you know what, there's a problem and I have some time on my hands. I'm going to start making yogurt. So that's not for everybody, but there are things we can do. There's a lot that we can't do, but there is so much that we could do that if we did around food, around plastics, around recycling would make a huge difference. You mentioned you had an example on, on cutting down food waste. So I wanted to, to go back to that uh, before we forget. And uh, secondarily, if you live in a city, because we have people who listen and watch Zoom into Books and the Big Time Talker from all over the country, all over the world. How does a city dweller like you, how do you compost? But first, the example on cutting down food waste. You said it's a good yeah. one. I yeah. don't use it. So I've come up with what I call the daily fridge review. It doesn't, It's. it sounds like it might be a, a burdensome thing to do, but it's not two minutes a day. I promise if you do it every day, it's two minutes a day. And the goal is to go into your fridge. Maybe it's 830 in the morning. Maybe it's six o'clock at night. doesn't matter. And the goal is to bring forward the food that's about to go bad. Because how many times 
Do we end up saying, oh, can't find anything in the fridge. Let me get rid of stuff. And you open up all these containers, takeout or just your own, and they're filled with things you don't even recognize anymore. So <laughs> yeah. the, the, the goal okay. is, yeah. Um, and that was us. Uh, and sometimes that's still us, by the way. I'm not perfect. But when we're doing it right, we do it every day. The other thing we do is we... I have a shelf I label eat me first because I'm the one who does the fridge review, but not everybody knows, okay, this stuff, if we don't eat it today, tomorrow, it's not going to be good anymore. Aim here first. So that's something we, um, we do. It's made a tremendous difference in how much we eat. We now have a leftovers night where all that stuff we know is not going to make it on its own. You know, we put it together and have a leftovers night. It's not that big a deal. Right. But, and when you know how much of a difference it makes it, at least for me, it propelled me to, you know, do this discipline thing. That's smart. Uh, uh, the daily fridge review. All right. And, and city dwellers, how do, how do you compost? What, what do you do? What does that actually look like? Yeah. So I am a city dweller, but kind of, in, I'm in DC, but I'm in the, you know, suburbs. It feels suburban here. Um, so I, as I mentioned, I did finally start my own composting in the backyard. Not everybody has time or wants to tackle that. There are a lot of other options. If you happen to live in the DC area, for example, and this is happening more and more across the country, the city, because the municipalities and states are recognizing how big a problem food waste is, they are trying to make it easier for you. So in DC, in every ward in DC, on the weekends, there are there are farmers markets that always are there that have a drop-off compost uh, area. So you can take, say, your bag's worth of um, compost, and if you don't want it smelling up your fridge, you can put it in your freezer, and you bring it down to the market. We do that when we've got stuff I don't want to put in my, you know, I don't want to attract any rats. There's certain things like bread I don't put in my uh, own compost bin. That's one option. And then I just came across this really cool app. It's a little like it reminds me of kind of like a dating service for composters. It matches people who want to compost their stuff, but they don't, like a city dweller, doesn't have a, a facility with people who are fine composting and taking other people's compost. This app is called Share Waste and it exists, you know, you can Google it anywhere in any city in the US and it will tell you which people near you, if you're the one with the food that you want to drop off, are taking it. And they tell you, you know, just leave it by the back door or whatever. And that's a really great thing to do. I was unexpectedly in a hotel for a month helping a sick relative in Phoenix. And I, I had a kitchenette. I stored my compostables. Maybe this sounds extreme to you, but I stored them in the freezer. And then I brought <laughs> them every week or two uh, to this share waste, um, really great person who was fine with my dropping it off. So there are solutions. You're going to put your compost in my freezer. You're not coming over. Stephanie <laughs> J. Miller is our guest today. I tease you can come anytime. It's okay. <laughs> the book is Zero Waste Living, the 80-20 Way. Um, I want to ask you about the 80-20 Way. I also want to ask you, and this uh, comes from a, a Facebook Live uh, post, how much of this is really influenced by uh, convenience and you know, human beings, for the most part, I would think, want to do the right thing. But, but, you know, the, there will be an awful lot of folks who are watching or listening right now who are saying, look, business is just giving people what they want. And is that a bad thing? Um, so business is giving people, business is discovering new things for its markets. And if it feels convenient, uh, it, it often does well. Uh, Starbucks cups, for example, 
uh, are mostly not recycled. So there's a huge convenience factor. Uh, before the pandemic, I used to go every Saturday for a walk with my friends. We would end up at Starbucks. They actually had, I don't know if they do post pandemic, but they have ceramic mugs you can ask for. So if you're planning to sit down in Starbucks, why do you need a disposable cup? You're gonna sit there and have your coffee while you do some work or sit with friends. So I think one of the things we need to do is examine how much of the convenience is it stuff we really want and need and or how much is being dumped on us that we can, some of it anyway, we can refuse. We don't have to go down that path for everything. All right, the 80-20 way. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah so 80-20 is this, this principle that I found since I wrote the book that about 50% of the people I know know what it is because they, they did it, they use it in their workplace and others really don't. So 80-20 is just this idea. It's not literally 80%, 20%, but this idea that not all actions are equal. And if you focus on the 20% most impactful things you could do, you could get to 80% of the results. You know, so we used to say 20%, 80% of our business came from 20% of our clients. So if you want to improve your business and you know you've got a lot of repeat customers, put a lot of attention on those 20%. It's that kind of concept. And you know, the thing is that even after I quit my job, took some time off and decided to try to tackle this, I realized there were things I was never going to be able to do, or when I went back to work in another year, I wasn't going to be able to do. They were just too time consuming. So I put my attention to looking through all the data, all the research I could on where the individual makes a difference, where their actions make a difference, and what were the easy things. Again, we talked about flying. You know, you're probably not going to stop flying, and uh, you're probably not going to have the next kid. You know, those are things that are very carbon intensive. Those are not things I recommend. I recommend three things, focusing on food, trying to purge plastic as much as you can, single use plastic from your life and recycling right. That's it. If you do those three things, you will go a long way toward reducing your own carbon footprint. And I guess my, my underlying philosophy is also that every action you take for the most part, gets noticed by other people, whether it's someone else in your house or outside your house. And we are social animals. So people notice and they start changing their behavior based on your behavior. So in other words, you don't just reduce your own carbon and waste footprint. You can have an impact on reducing others as well. That's the exciting part, I think. Lead by example, as they say. All right. Now you mentioned three things. You kind of blew through them, but I think those are really important. Let's, let's get into those again. Those top three for you are yeah, so food, what I say is focus on food. And what I mean by that is actually two things. One, we already talked about food waste, which is so important. Uh, we can talk some more about that, but that's a biggie. And the other really biggie, and this one I think most people do know about, is a plant-rich diet. I am not talking about going vegetarian. If you go there, I think about 5% of the population is vegetarian and my hat's off to them. I am not a vegetarian. But we can make a difference by the next meal, the next meal that we have, we can choose plants or vegetables, sorry, vegetables or meat, but it doesn't stop there because as you hopefully have picked up from me, I'm not a person of extremes, even meat, even looking at animal protein, there's a very big difference between beef, say, and chicken or wild caught fish. If you, if you look at what's called the carbon intensity of food, 
how much carbon emissions are responsible for producing one kilogram of beef? The answer is 60 kilograms of carbon, but chicken is only six. So 10 times less. So you don't have to choose uh, non-meat tonight, but you could choose chicken. And if you choose wild caught salmon, for example, you're at three kilograms of carbon emissions for one kilogram of salmon instead of 60 for beef. So what I like to say is, you know, just understand how much power you have in each meal to make a, a more or less carbon intensive choice. That has been eye-opening for me. I went from, you know, easily eating steak or burgers a few times a week to, I have my goals. Uh, once I try steak no more than once a month. I don't always succeed, but that's my goal. I like it. All right, very good. So those are a couple of things you can do with food. That's number one. What's the second of your three-legged stool? So the second one is purge plastics. And this is, you know, what we talked about with the, um, with the water bottle. I, I really believe if you kind of just spend a second and you think about what is it you buy every single day or maybe a few times a week, every and you throw it away with an, you know, single-use plastic just means you use it, most of us, for just a few minutes, and then you dispose of it. If for me, it was the plastic water bottle. For other people, it might be something completely different. For a lot of us during the pandemic, this might look familiar. This is the uh, take uh, plastic takeout container. Now, this is a really interesting thing because you probably know how much more, you have a sense of how much more you've gone through these this year uh, than say a couple years ago. I think most sure. of us have. So the top part is a plastic, this clear plastic, very recyclable, but plastic only gets recycled once or twice and then it loses its ability to reform. So that's the end of the, the life of it. But this part is recyclable. This part in some jurisdictions, I'm looking, I'm showing you the black plastic at the bottom right. of the takeout container. It is uh, not a high, you talk about private sector, it is not a high value product whatsoever. It's very hard to recycle. And so even if your jurisdiction allows you to place black plastic in your recycle bin, a lot of times it doesn't end up getting recycled. So what's the alternative? Well, what we started doing uh, during the pandemic is uh, we started using, bringing our own takeout containers. You can use either the, you know, the plastic ones you already have right. or your own, as long as they're clean. We do not have any issue calling up our, our local Chinese, Thai, Greek restaurants, Indian. They all accept when we call and place our order for pickup, will you put them in our plastic containers? They say no problem. So we just have to come a few minutes before the, the order's ready and we pick it up. It's a little less convenient, yes, because you have to go down there instead of getting it delivered. But if it's a neighborhood place, and most of them will say, yes, they want your business. Uh, even during the pandemic, we did this. So it's worth asking. Um, I can give you other examples. One of the things you might've come in, might've come into your mind if you do the grocery shopping in your family is you probably use those plastic produce bags, which I don't know about you, I have a, something doesn't allow me to open those very easily, but that's, another story. <laughs> yes, that's right. When you, and you, and you probably, when you, when most people, and when I grocery shopped, I would go through five, six, seven, eight of those in one go, right? You can bring your own reusable cotton produce bags and put your, uh, apples or lemons or whatever in here. You could even just put them in the cart naked, you know, but anyway, you don't have to package them, but if you want to, I bring a bunch of these to the store, seven or eight, and that's what I use to put my produce in. That's cut down on all that plastic, which again, you know, you touch it for the minute when you package it and then you throw it away when you get home. Right. 
those are some examples. Uh, if there are questions on other examples, I, I, I have lots, but uh, you those know, are easy though. And I love they're uh, easy. the whole thought of, of, I would never have thought about taking my own containers for takeout. Uh, I, I have thought about using those containers as bachelor Tupperware for many years now. <laughs> It's a whole different way to, to keep it in the family. Zero Waste Living is the book, The 80-20 Way. Stephanie J. Miller is our guest. All right, we've talked about uh, two of your three top things that we can do. What's the third? So the third is recycling right. So recycling is a fascinating um, thing. I actually spent, when I decided I'd do this research, I went to all the recycling facilities in, in the region that would allow uh, the public and it's amazing. And if you ever have time to do it, it's a cool thing to do. But if most people don't, and I would say I learned a lot of things. And one of them is that, again, not everything is equal. There's some things you put in the recycle bin that will have such a huge impact on energy and water savings and others much less. So, for example, uh, an aluminum can, whether it's your dog food can or your you know, soda can, that is so easily recyclable. That wasn't one of the things that was ever sent to China for recycling because there's such a market for it here. You put that in the bin, 60 days later, it is refurbished and back on the shelf. It is melted down, made into another can and back on the shelf again. It's fascinating. And metals is infinitely recyclable. So what I say is if you're buying St. Croix water and you're not willing to give up your St. Croix water, you don't have to buy it in plastic. You can buy it in aluminum cans. Much better. 95% of energy is saved when you use an aluminum can that's been recycled versus one that's from virgin materials. That's huge. The other material that's infinitely recyclable is glass, but that's a little more complicated because in some jurisdictions in the U.S., they don't have a market for glass. It's all about who's going to take these things off, you know, the... Uh, materials recycling facilities hands. They have contracts for bales of these things and there's either a market for it or it's not. Glasses, you have to check in your jurisdiction. Um, paper cardboard, huge savings if you on energy and water. 60% uh, of energy is saved when you use recycled, when someone, when a, when a manufacturer uses recycled paper instead of virgin and a huge amount of uh, uh, water as well. So paper, cardboard, very recyclable. And I want to talk about the pizza box in a second, because do you happen to know, Do you do, would you recycle your pizza box? I would not recycle my pizza box. I you know, and Actually, let me stop there. Are you saying, would I take my pizza box and put it in the recycle bin? Or would I put a second pizza in the pizza box? <laughs> that seems really it, gross to me, Stephanie. Yeah. <laughs> would you put it in the recycle bin? That I do. Yes, I do. So here's the tricky thing about that, but it's so easy to solve. The greasy part in the bottom, if it is greasy, sometimes they put like a piece of wax paper. Sometimes it doesn't get that greasy, but it's usually very greasy and it has contamination. Right. That part needs to be thrown away or composted, trashed or composted. But the top part hardly ever has, hardly ever has much of anything on it. You'll notice I've never seen a pizza box that doesn't have one of those ridged uh, perforated things where you can yeah, just tear it off. Top off. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we do. You tear off the top, put it in the recycle bin, take off a little food if there's anything on it. And the bottom part, if it's super greasy, you throw it away. Or if you have you have access to compost, then compost it. So anyway, that's just one little trick I learned. 
the last of the four things that they sort for at the recycle facilities is plastic. And plastic, as I said, 9% of the plastic that's ever been made has been recycled. The rest is either in landfills or in the ocean or floating around somewhere in the air. We consume, by the way, we ingest every single week. There's been research that's done a credit card's worth of plastic every week. Yep. And a lot of it comes from plastic, uh, the water and water that's in plastic water bottles. Uh, Some of it is in beer because the, uh, anyway, there's a few different sources of where we get a lot of it's in the air as well. So we ingest this stuff. Okay. So plastics, it's important to get it right. Even though plastics is only recycled one to two times, not like metals infinitely, not like glass infinitely. I forgot to say papers, recyclable and cardboard seven to nine times plastic only once or twice. So what that tells me is we better get it right. We better put the right things in the recycle bin. And then we have an opportunity to kind of look at that equation and say, well, if this is more sustainable than that, is there anything I can do about it? Can I reduce the plastic, for example, in my life? You're coming after my straws, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I, I have a metal straw I'll send you, Burke. I knew I it. Have an extra one. I have an extra one. I knew this was going to happen. Stephanie J. Miller's book, Zero Waste Living, the 80-20 Way. It's really easy. Uh, when you have a strategy in place, and it's not a, a difficult strategy. We're not talking about a term paper here. These are very simple, easy to do things. All right. We're in the, the summer season. Before we wrap up, can you give me a couple of tips for cutting down waste uh, at picnics, 4th of July picnics, outdoor gatherings? How can we yes. get around some of that? Yes, absolutely. So um, outdoor picnics, you have two choices. You can pick everything up in containers. You can go to the deli and get the salad. Or again, just like you would for the takeout restaurants, you could bring your own containers, whether it's something you're making at home and bringing to the picnic or something in the store. I have gone into the deli section uh, of some of the grocery stores and they will put, for example, sliced uh, cold cuts in my own containers. Not a problem. They just put the sticker with the, you know, how much it costs on top. And then I take it off when I get home. That's one thing. Uh, Again, bring, uh, you know, ask everyone to bring their own bottle of water. Uh, And my favorite thing is, you know, we have no problem coming to a picnic and bringing a nice little tablecloth we put on the grass or on on the picnic bench. Why do we then use plastic cups and paper napkins? Paper napkins are, by the way, not recyclable, they're compostable. Bring your own napkins, you know? Anyway, you could leave the picnic area with all the food eaten or put back in your own containers with not a shred, not a shred of waste. It's possible. All right. You've got the plan. You can find it in the book, Zero Waste Living, the 80-20 way, or visit Stephanie J. Miller. The website is zerowastendc.com. And you actually help people out. If they want to, they're really serious about it. They want to get it together. You can put a sort of a step-by-step custom plan together for them, sort of an audit of how to cut down their waste, right? Yeah, I just did a recycle audit for a building on Connecticut Avenue uh, where we had 35 people and we went through, you know, what works, what doesn't, lots of questions. And I love these questions. So that's kind of my thing. I'm always happy to help. I dig it. And by the way, the individual yogurt cups, 
not coming into my place anymore. I'm going to get a big tub at one time. So then it's just once. That's even better. That's a great, yep, that's 80-20. See? Well done, <laughs> Stephanie J. Miller. This was worth the price of admission. Thank you. And thanks to our friends at Headline Books for having us today in the Zoom into Books program. Thank you to our sponsor, SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. And special thanks to my friend and our guest, Stephanie J. Miller. The book is Zero Waste Living, the 80-20 way. It's part of the Resetting Our Future series from Changemakers Books. Thank you, Headline Books. Thank you for watching and listening. Wherever you go, whatever you do, make it a great day. Bye, everybody.